0: Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to read a a selection of scriptures to you this morning. i want to start, first of all, in Isaiah. You can read along if you'd like. Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah 7, verse number 10 says, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Then if you turn over to the ninth chapter of Isaiah, in verse number six, it says, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And then if you would turn over with me to, you don't have to turn there, it might take you a minute to find it. But in Micah, the fifth chapter, Micah chapter five, verse number two, it says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, Israel whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Hallelujah. These are just some of the prophecies in the Old Testament that came concerning the Lord Jesus Christ before he was born. And these prophecies were made, some of them many, many, many hundreds of years before Jesus ever came on the scene. And then of course we read in Luke's gospel and you can turn over there and follow with me the story of the birth of Jesus beginning in Luke 1 verse number 26. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Then the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And now this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And then going over to Matthew's gospel, the first chapter, Matthew chapter 1, and we'll pick up in verse number 18, Matthew 1, 18, it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And now if you go back to Luke's gospel again, we'll pick up in the first chapter, or excuse me, the second chapter, Luke chapter two, and we'll pick up in verse number one. It said, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went out to be registered, everyone to his own city. because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were, were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, you, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people." For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then, when the, then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And then if you would go back to Matthew chapter two, Matthew chapter two again, and let's look at verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem The star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. You know, I've, I've become accustomed on uh, the Sunday of Christmas, either the, you know, the Christmas Sunday or the Sunday preceding Christmas. Uh, if I'm going to do a Christmas message, particularly, I've, 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 come, I've gotten into the habit of reading the Christmas story. And the reason I do that is we need to be refocused every year on what Christmas is all about and how this, this wonderful thing unfolded. And something that, that just jumped out to me when I was reading about, in, in Luke chapter two, about the, uh, about the shepherds, it said that they were full of wonder and amazement over what had been told to them. And the scene that they saw as they came into that manger, into that uh, into that, uh, uh uh, shed where Mary and Joseph and Jesus were, were, uh, were at and the humility of that scene and yet the glory of it. It was, it was just a, a stable, a lowly stable. Jesus was wrapped, you know, in swaddling clothes just like babies are today but instead of being in a, in a hospital or in a, in a comfortable home somewhere with all of the, of the comforts of life, he was in a feeding trough where animals fed he had no doubt hay under him and that was it and it was the most meager the most it was the most simple it was the poorest of of any possible surroundings and yet to the to the shepherds it was none of those things it was glorious It was amazing. They were filled with wonder because, you see, they had been given inside information. Angels had appeared to them and told them what was going on. And, you know, as Christians, we need to be sure that the wonder and the amazement of the birth of Christ never slips away. And so I had a a little message prepared this morning and I'm only going to have time to hit the highlights of it. And uh, it's going to be a little different than the way I normally compose a message. I'm going to use uh, different sources of material than I usually use. And I'm going to start with a very popular Christmas carol. And it's entitled, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. And the Christmas carol goes this way. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light, for from now on our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the yuletide gay, for from now our troubles will be miles away. Here we are as in olden days, happy golden days of yore. Faithful friends who are dear to us, Gather near to us once more. Through the years, we all will be together if the fates allow. Hang a shining star above the highest bow and have yourself a merry little Christmas now. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. This carol Really epitomizes the way the world thinks of Christmas. It's all about having a merry little time. And it's all about forgetting about the troubles momentarily. Being together once again with family and friends and being glad but knowing that it might be the last time we can have such a gathering. Because it says, if the fates allow. And it says, hang a shining star above the highest bough. In other words, the highest uh, limb or bough of the tree, the Christmas tree, hang a shining star above the highest bough and have for yourself a merry little Christmas now. Because you might not get to again the world has no idea what Christmas is really about. And yet many of the things in this carol are are honestly and naturally associated with Christmas. Getting together with family and friends, being merry, enjoying one another, enjoying the season, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all Christmas is, To a Christian, listen to me. If you you allow yourself to fall into the rhythm of the season and get caught up with the world's ideas and the, and the, the limited, narrow vision they have of Christmas, you will be robbed next Tuesday morning, this coming Tuesday. You know, there are a lot of people that bemoan and bewail the uh, the superficiality of Christmas, the materialism of Christmas. We all talk about how busy we are. Oh boy, I can't believe it's Christmas. I have so much to do, so many places to go. It can wear on you. But as Christians, we have the the opportunity to at least personally in our own lives to reclaim the wonder and majesty of christmas and if we don't do it for ourselves it won't happen amen and as i was thinking about this i was <clears throat> i'm not claiming <clears throat> I'm not claiming complete originality here but a good friend of mine just put Uh, something up on social media and posted something about what I'm talking about and I got some of these ideas uh, uh, from him and instead of having a merry little Christmas, we need to have a very meaningful Christmas. Have yourself a very meaningful Christmas Now, it doesn't quite follow the meter of the song, maybe perfectly, it might not be real singable, but it's important for us to to go back and and sing sometimes some of the things that we've sung before. Now, the reason we don't sing a lot of Christmas carols here on, on the Sunday before Christmas is because they're so traditional, We found out through the years, if we came in here this morning and we sang all of the traditional carols, you know, they were written many of them hundreds of years ago. And they don't sound like the things we sing. They're they're just different, a different style. The words are written. You know, they're they're very old and and poetic and and, uh, uh, kind of old school, old style, very old style. And what we found out between Steve and I, you know, we've discussed this many times, if we come in here on Sunday morning and just sing Christmas carols, it sort of kills the service. I mean for a worship service. We're accustomed to coming in and rejoicing in Christ Jesus and and entering in and having the presence of God fill us like he did today. And and there's something about singing those carols that just, everybody gets like this. You know, use the pictures of the carolers, you know. Their mouths, you know, perfect oval, you know, and and uh, it sort of ruins things. But yet, this writer got me to looking at some of these Christmas carols. Now, most of us grew up in denominational churches singing these Christian Christmas hymns. How many of you did? Raise your hand. A lot of us. And if you're like me, you started in church that way. I heard these Christmas carols from as early as I can remember. And I had no idea what they were talking about. The words really didn't make a lot of sense because, again, they didn't sound like the way people talked. And... So we just sang them, and the only only reason you learned them was because you learned them by rote, simply because you sang them so many times. But most of the time, we didn't give a lot of thought to what was in the words of these Christian hymns. But uh, singing singing these, these hymns were designed to do more than cause a flush of emotion about Simpler, happy times around the around the tree. Part of this comes from our first remembrance of Christmas is when we were children. Isn't that right? That's, that's the first. That's what all of us remember about Christmas. We remember Christmas morning. We remember getting presents, and you know the sparkle that was in the house from the lights and and uh, everything about the about the season. It Christmas today. Everybody seems to want to somehow reach back and, and lay hold of those emotions again, lay hold of that feeling again, that sense of, of being, you know, with family and just everything being perfect, just peaceful and with family. But these hymns were designed to do way more than create an emotional uh, something in our lives. So I took the liberty to take, I think I've got four hymns, maybe maybe three, we'll see, one, I think I have four hymns, and I don't have a lot of time this morning, but I just want to go over some of the words of some of these hymns. Uh, Oh, Holy Night. Now, before we can really esteem the value of the good news, uh, we need to understand just how bad the bad news was. When uh, the angels appeared to the shepherds on the hillside, Remember it says the shepherds went back and they told everybody about what they heard and everybody that heard it was also filled with amazement and wonder. It's because Jesus didn't come just in in a time when things were sort of bad. Jesus came onto the scene in a time in which the world was in darkness. In fact, John, the writer of the, of, of, the, of the gospel that bears his name, the Apostle John, he said, if you don't believe in him, you're condemned already. The world was living in a state and existed in a state of condemnation when Jesus came. The Bible describes mankind outside of Christ as aliens from the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. The apostle Paul spoke about himself prior to Christ. He said, I was a slave sold out to sin. Jesus came into the world in a time of darkness. Men, the Bible says that that men were living in darkness. And the people who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, saw a great light. In O, uh, O holy night! Now this was written in nineteen for excuse me eighteen forty seven. The words in that in that hymn go this way: Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Now that was written in eighteen forty seven. Noah Webster's dictionary that was published in 1828, so 19 years before that, said the words pine and pining imply languishing, wasting away, and bemoaning in silence. A more modern definition says pining means to yearn intensely and persistently, especially for something unattainable. See, humanity was lost and we had no way of saving ourselves. That was the world Jesus came into. Like I said, he didn't come into a world that was just having a little bit of trouble, that merely needed some encouragement or some motivation or a better self-image. He came into a world under the authority of Satan. That's what the Bible says. Man was locked under the dominion of darkness. Under the, under the dominion of Satan. Like I said, aliens and strangers from the covenants of promise without hope and without God. You know what? The world still needs to hear the truth. In, in the church day, today, the modern, more modern approach that a lot of Christians have, have adopted is that we should never talk to anybody about sin. And that's not not true. Jesus talked about sin a lot. And before a person can ever turn to God, there has to be a realization of where they are and the darkness they're in. Now, I'm not suggesting that we browbeat people with sin consciousness or try to preach them under conviction but at the same time we don't need to uh, cover up the truth when it when it when it could come out naturally there are a lot of times when sinfulness is quite obvious and a person's sinful condition and their broken condition is quite obvious it begs to be pointed out There are times it needs to be pointed out. Parents of children, when you you have Christmas morning and the children are all gathered around, grandchildren, you know, it's appropriate to take a few minutes and tell your children what this is really about. But go a little bit deeper than, well, it's, it's about how God loves us and how he gave Jesus. Go a little bit deeper than that. Your children can handle it. Your children need to know that that mankind outside of Christ is ruined. That there is an inherent emptiness, an inherent brokenness, an inherent uh, separation from God on the inside of every person until they meet Christ. Children need to be aware of that. In, in, in fact, once your child reaches the age of accountability, it will resonate with them. They'll know exactly what you're talking about. They might not have lived long enough to be, to be, to live, to live a, lived a life, you know, of gross sinfulness and, and all of these things, but they know that emptiness on the inside. They know that inherent spirit of disobedience and rebellion that resides in their heart and so every Christmas you should remind your children and it will be an education for the little ones as they they become old enough to understand that Jesus came into the world because man was broken and lost and there was no way to God There there was no way to fix it All of the religions in the world try to fix it, but it can't be fixed without the Savior. He's the only one who provided the fix, the cure. It's only in Christ Jesus. It is not in religion, it's not even in Christianity if it's just another religion. I know my my oldest son Steve. He travels a lot in his work, and he goes to India every now and then. And he was witnessing to a a, a a driver of taxi or a rickshaw. I don't know what he was riding. He was riding something, and he was witnessing to this this driver about Jesus. And this in this Hindu driver said, "Oh yes, yes, Jesus. He's one of the great gods." And he reached up on his on his hanging from his, from his rear view mirror. He had, you know, these, these uh, things, these, these uh, items, and one represented Jesus. He said, yes, this right here, this is Jesus. He is a very, very great God. But you see, he's one of, his, one of the gods. If Christianity is just one of the religions, it's worthless. If it is to you, just one of the religions of the world. It is worthless. It's just as worthless as Hinduism or any other ism. Because Because Jesus doesn't represent religion. Religion has come out of it. But Jesus came because he was God in the flesh. God, because of the desire to redeem mankind, God took upon himself humanity. The only way to rescue fallen man was to come in the place of man and pay the debt of man. And so God, the most high God, the creator of the the universe, humbled himself and came in the form of a baby, was born as a human being. If if this wasn't true, if this this idea that I just presented to you of God, the God of the universe, coming into the world of humanity and taking on humanity and becoming a a person, a being, a, a human being, if, if this is not true, if it was not true, it would be the most ridiculous idea anybody's ever had. It would be absurd to think the God who created the universe would, would take up and become part of a fallen race that was in rebellion against him. That's exactly what happened. Oh, glory to God. That other line I read, the first line said, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. It goes on to say, His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Glory to God. When Jesus came into the world, God was saying to every human being, you are the object of my affection. I value you and I have come to make you my own. Glory to God. That's what I mean by have yourself a very meaningful Christmas. What time is it? A, there's a bag in front of that clock and so I can't see it completely. Oh, I thought it said 207. It says 203. I have four extra minutes. <laughs> oh Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This Latin hymn is from the 12th century. I'm going to go real quick. This hymn is from the 12th century. It speaks of the bondage and oppression of the world, even of God's own covenant people prior to Jesus' coming. It says, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Mourning in lonely exile, a captive people that needs ransoming. You see, sin separates man. Man needed far more than a good example. See, that's what the religions of this world offer. They offer good examples. Someone who allegedly could provide a good example or could teach good things. I tell you, the world needed more than a great teacher. Someone said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness and redemption. So God sent us a savior. He came came to give us victory over life. Believe me, you need victory over life. He came to give us victory over life, death, hell, the grave. Is there anything more final than the grave? Absolutely, the resurrection. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Joy to the world. In 1833, Isaac Watts wrote the uh, lyrics to Joy to the World, and he based it on Psalm 98. You ought to turn over to Psalm 98, not right now, but turn over there sometime. Just write it down. Just write it down. Turn over to Psalm 98 and read that. Verse three says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns, thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Glory to God. You know, there was a curse placed upon mankind because of disobedience. Jesus came to deliver us from that curse. He became a curse for us so that we could go free from the curse. All that the curse involves, Pastor Greg talked this morning about about lack, not having enough, not having enough money, not having enough uh, prosperity. And he he made the statement that Jesus died for us to have more. And people, uh, that's kind of shocking to some people. Oh, I thought Jesus died to to save us from our sins. He did. But he also died to break the curse that was upon mankind because of sin and lack of not having enough, I'm not talking about being materialistic. I'm not talking about living an opulent life. I'm not talking about just living for yourself. That's not what I mean. But having enough, to have uh, enough for your family to thrive and to, and to be a blessing to others, that's a blessing from God. Jesus came to break every curse, to remove every curse and to buy our freedom from every curse. Sickness is a curse. Poverty is a curse. Depression is a curse. Anxiety is a curse. Amen. Carnality is a curse. Hatred is a curse. Fear is a curse. Jesus came and redeemed us from all of that. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And, and, and I'll close with this one. Heart the herald angels sing. Or Charles Wesley, you know, John Wesley was the founder of a Methodist church. And his brother, John was the preacher, Charles was the singer. Charles uh, Wesley wrote just a a, a great number of hymns and uh, very, very popular today. In, In 1739, Charles Wesley wrote this hymn, Heart the Herald Angels Sing. And it's amazing how many deep theological themes are found in this one Uh, gospel or Christmas hymn. Uh, Some of the lines read like this. Late in time, behold, he come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lay his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. There's so much in this and I don't have time to comment on. But I'll just, I'll just comment on this, on this little part. Mild he lays his glory by born that man no more may die god became man and to do that god had to lay his glory aside jesus laid aside his mighty power and glory now he never ceased to be god while he was here he was all he he existed with god the father the Bible says Jesus created the worlds. Jesus existed, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit existed before time. No beginning. How, how do you understand that? I can't, I just believe it, it's in the Bible. They, believed from, they lived and, and, and existed from eternity past. But when Jesus came here, all of the glory that was his, he laid aside. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Christ our Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Oh, glory to God. In the same hymn, in the first verse, there's one line that really sums up the gospel message. And it's that simple phrase, God and sinners reconciled. Oh, thank God. You know, this might've been maybe a difficult year for you. It might've been a great year. But I I really want all of us as believers this Christmas to have a very meaningful Christmas. Don't let Christmas slip by. Don't let the hurried rush, all of the pressure, all of the expectations, don't let it slip by without taking account of what it's really about. We've been redeemed. We belong to him. Satan's tyranny no longer reigns over us. Oh, glory to God. We no longer sit in the shadow of death. It's because of Christ. This Christmas and every Christmas, it's because of Christ that our soul feels its worth. How valuable are you? Your your value to God can't even be estimated in human terms. Can't even be estimated. I don't care what other people might think about you. It doesn't matter what people around you might think or say. Your value to God is incomprehensible. That God would lay aside all of his glory and come here in the the simplest, most vulnerable form of humanity, an infant. Walk through life. Live a sinless life. Show us everything good. Show us the Father at every turn Just live a life of demonstration of who God is and then go to a cross. Be spit on, be beaten, be crucified and to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, glory to God. That's what Christmas brought us. Brought us jesus it brought us his life it brought us his death it brought us his resurrection and it reminds us that he's coming again at impact family church it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the word of god we have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching